0: Our scripture reading this morning is Psalm um, 135 on page 519 of your pew Bible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it gives us life and uh, that it provides all that we need. We ask that you would bless the reading of this word and that you would give us understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel, as his own possession. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the ends of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. He it was who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and of beast, who in your midst, O Egypt, sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants, who struck down many nations and killed mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of Canaan. And gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to his people Israel. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. your renown, O Lord, throughout all ages. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. O house of Israel, bless the Lord. O house of Aaron, bless the Lord. O house of Levi, bless the Lord. You who fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord from Zion, who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. The word of God for the people of God.
1: As we um, continue to look at who God is and God's nature, um, we're we're moving into um, some parts that are maybe counterintuitive, maybe not um, self-evident, and um, maybe even a little more abstract. So hope you had plenty of coffee and are ready to go. This morning, we're going to talk about Um, God's self-existence, that God exists without requiring anything for that existence. He himself is being. And uh, the the theological word for this, if you want to, um, you know, if you're ever on Jeopardy or you you want to impress friends, is aseity, which is Latin from, from self. And it just means that God isn't dependent like we are for his existence, that he is the source of existence um, rather than dependent on anything else. Psalm 135 uh, talks of his power and, and talks about um, something uh, his, that he doesn't have a mouth and um, the human hands. And he's not a working human hands, not having the eyes that don't see that the, the idols of the people do. Talks about how he does whatever he pleases, and, and a lot of this is kind of um, implications from this point. Now, I wanted to have all these I, everything to be a psalm that we looked at in this series. So, my my main point of that clearly shows about God's self existence is um, kind of hidden in God's name. We're told, "Praise the Lord! Praise the name of the Lord!" Um, and it's repeated throughout this psalm praising the Lord and praising Him. And what I want to remind you of is that word "Lord," if you'll notice in your Bible is all capital letters, which means what the translators are translating is not the generic word for Lord, but they're actually translating God's name. And so it's just a reflection on God's name reminds us that God is self-existent. You remember? Moses um, goes to the burning bush. He's commissioned to go and free the people from Egypt. And he goes and says, who shall I say sent me? And what does God say? I am that I am. Tell them I am sent me. And so God's name, I am, Yahweh, is the name that's translated here. We, we reflect on the very name of God is his own existence, the source of existence. God is being. It is being himself. And that is so unlike us because we are creatures who have so many needs for our existence. Um, there was a one of the trips um, back overseas. Um, I remember I had like several layovers and things didn't go well. Some of y'all can relate to things not going well in the airport, but you know, kind of went through all these things. I was by myself and I'd been over, I think this is probably when I um, had been um, without the family for a month or so. And so I I get off the airport. I I was hungry. I was thirsty. I was sleepy. Hadn't slept in a while. I hadn't seen family in a while. I needed, um, you know, to be around people. That tells you how, you know, up, I was, I mean, I was just. And I told Robin when I got off that I felt like an experiment in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's like, what am I going to do first? Am I going to eat or nap? Or and they suggested showering. So you know, I was really in need. And that's who we are. We we feel strong, but by the end of the day, we're tired. We get hungry, because we rely on other things for our existence. We we, we don't go a moment without air, without all this that's here that, that causes us to exist so that it, we rely on God and everything God provides for us, we have our needs, and God is not like that. God doesn't need anything for his own existence. One of the things that reminds us is that God did not create us to fulfill something that was lacking in himself. God wasn't lonely and needed you. God wasn't um, needing someone to do things, and so he makes people. God perfectly fulfilled, perfect joy, perfect existence in himself. And so what we see is that even the creation itself is an overflow of the abundance of being of God. Our existence is grace. The creation itself is is grace itself. It's an overflow. It's, It's not fulfilling a need. The ancients who lived at the same time as the Jews would have had this idea that the gods created people because they needed someone to cook for them. That's what sacrifices were. They would get hungry, and they would get grumpy, and they would need people to provide an offering. All, all the pagan cultures understood that to get a God to do something was to offer a sacrifice and put them in your debt. So the idea that God somehow needs our praises or somehow needs our company because he's not complete in himself and, and that we serve this purpose for him is a pagan notion. It's not the God who says, I am. It's not the God of Psalm 50 that says, If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world in its fullness is mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Nothing of who we are is needed by God. And that is good news. Kind of counterintuitive because we we think we're important. But it is such a good thing that God doesn't need us. One of the things is, that means your prayers can never be bargaining and negotiating with God. I confessed at Mount Carmel how at times in my life when I really wanted something, I would make little bargains with God. God, give me this, and I'll be a good boy, go to church. I don't think I had anything to do with the offering, but I'd be tempted to do some, put something in the offering. If you know, God brings Satan back, we'll, we'll give more this year, tithe will go up. And um, some of them couldn't relate to the idea of negotiating. But maybe you've been there. Maybe you've wanted something so bad that you kind of had this idea of, I pray and I offer something to God, but God doesn't need it. In other words, God doesn't do something to get something from us. God, as the psalmist says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. He does his own will, not our will, because we have leverage over him. And that's good because His will is good and perfect. If I could somehow leverage and have something to negotiate with and get God to do something for me, I'm not perfect. My knowledge is incomplete. My will isn't good for all. And so, I mean, it would not be good for us to be able to get God to do what we want. But maybe maybe you haven't kind of thought that, you know, if I, if I get my way, I'll give something to God. But I think all of us, all of us kind of have this attitude of our own salvation is I will be good and I will, um, I will do what's right. I will, I will know what's right. In other words, in our heart is the idea that what sets us right with God is us doing something to get God to pl- be pleased with us to be obedient, to make him um, owe us something. And that, that's the idea of salvation of everyone is that we have to earn it. We have to um, know what's right. We have to do what's right. We have to be sincere with our promises. And we, we come up with some way that we've done something to come to God, but God needs nothing from us. And so our salvation itself can never be negotiated. It's always a gift. The good news is because God needs nothing that we can ha- we can give him, because God exists in himself with no needs, that means all that we have from him is grace. That means his love for you is totally unconditional. Because what would he need from you? His love for you is only his love for you. It's only of his grace. And so we can, we can rest in that. And, and the more we get that, the more we understand that I'm not getting something because I've given something to God that he needs or uh, is lacking, that he's only overflowing to me, then I can change the way I look at other people. There's always the temptation of looking at people in a contractual relationship. I do this, you owe me that, right? You, you provide this for me and I'll give you this. We, we do it in our marriages, we do it in our families, we do it with coworkers. we do it with our neighbors. And if we get the idea of God's unconditional love for us because He needs nothing from us, then we can love people realizing He gives us all that we need. And I'm, I'm not needing to get something from others, I'm, I'm getting it from God. I can mimic God in this of loving others with that same unconditional grace that I've received through Him. God is self-existent. And He also means God doesn't depend on anything else, including parts. All right, so I'm going to move to something that isn't a clear verse I can point to. There's not, for everything that we believe, a, a, a verse that we can look up and say, ah, this is this, that. There's some things that come by good and necessary consequences. That is, logically, this follows. That's how we come to our understanding of the Trinity. Scriptures reveal aspects of God in, in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. tells us God is one, and we have to come to an understanding of the Trinity. And, and so this next thing I'm going to share with you is kind of like that, is that God is simple. Not simple to understand. Not simple as in, you know, that... that um, Uncle, you kind of keep on the, the back row at Thanksgiving, not, not like that, but simple as in he's not complex parts. He's not put together by a lot of parts. We are put together by parts. We have body parts, right? We have, you know, arms, legs, heart, spleen. We also have different parts of our soul, our psyche, our, you know, whoever we are inside we've known this for a long time. Like some people talk about the the ego, the superego, and the id, right? There's parts of us kind of, we know that we have a will, we have um, reason, we have um, desires, we have um, different aspects of who we are so that there's a will, there's a desire, there's a reason, there's memory, there's imagination, there's all these things, and that's who we are. And we we, we've seen the ways um, um, these things in us can be lost. We've, we've all had loved ones in our lives that physically they're in great shape. You know, they, they're, they're, they're healthy. Um, you put them up to all the metrics and, and they're whole, but their memory is gone. And, and we've grieved to watch as their memory leaves because they're not fully who they are. I mean, without the memory, we know they're not all of who they are. Even though their body's there and they, can, they, they reason, the memory's gone. Or we've known people that are they're sharp, they've kept their sense of humor, they're, they're remembering things that we forget, and yet they're in bedridden, and there's parts of them that isn't fully who they are. That, that's because we are made up of these parts, and these parts can fail. So here's the thing is, if God were made of parts, then he would rely on those parts, right? You know, if, 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 if God's omniscience and his eternity and his um, being all powerful were different parts that were all put together, then any one of those could fail. Here's the thing, any of those would have to precede God. And there would have to be something that puts those together, right? So God is simple. In other words, he is one. So that when we see different aspects of who God is, his love and his justice, God truly is simply one. Think of the cover to Dark Side of the Moon. Those of y'all who are not Pink Floyd fans and do not have one of the greatest rock albums of all time in your house, um, Google it later, but I'll describe it to you. It's an image of a prism. And what does a prism do? Is it, it shows the, the light shining into... I, mean, I can't believe there's not more pink f- Well, That'll be another thing. Okay. <laughs> the light comes into the prism, and then outside of it is the rainbow, the different colors, right? So that's what we see. That, that's kind of an idea that, that we see the different aspects of God, His knowledge, His love, his justice as different things, but in truth, it's all that single ray of light. God is simple. His love is his justice. They're all the same. And, and why does that matter? Well, the first thing is the way we can lose who we are by losing part of who we are, God never can fall back into parts. No, no aspect of God can ever fall. He will, he will never not exist. He will never um, be with his power but without his um, wisdom. He, he'll never uh, have love but lose his justice. All of who God is is simple. It is being itself. And every aspect of who God is, is God. All that is in God is God. He is secure, and he will never fail, and you can rely on him. One of the big takeaways from that is that he is trustworthy because he cannot break apart. When your life feels like it's coming apart, when there are so many things in your life that aren't doing what you would think they should be doing and what you need for them to be doing, when, when it feels like you're coming to pieces, how good it is to know that we love a God who can never fall apart we fall to pieces and worship a God who can never fall to pieces because He is one. He can't break apart. But there's something else to it. It's not only remembering that God is secure and that He can't break apart, that we, but it's also, if there are aspects, these could be kind of in competition with one another. Like I, I have a desire to be in a you know, smaller size pair of pants. I also have a desire for original donut man number two, donuts, that seems to win out every Sunday over those other desires. Maybe, maybe you've kind of had that where you've had a reason of something you thought through and you want to do, but then all of a sudden your emotions overwhelm that reason and you do things contrary to what you've been telling yourself you ought to do. Maybe there are things in your life, I mean, that you just have different desires and you're you, you, you almost paralyzed because you don't know what to do. And and who who is to understand the heart of men? But we do know that there's aspects of us that go against other aspects of us. Not so with God. God is simple. Everything is a unity so that there's not warring and contrasting parts to God. And this is helpful for us because there's a temptation for us to say, Um, to to contrast and say, you know, God's justice is here, but God's love is here. To say foolish things like, you know, I'm really not big on God's law. I I just want to love. But God's law is love. That's why when Jesus summarizes the law, he says the law is to love God and love your neighbor. Law is love. To love someone is to tell them the truth. To love someone is not to covet what's theirs. To love God is to... Um, to, to not misrepresent him. Or, or maybe we say things like in the, in the Old Testament, God was like this. It was, it was judgment and condemnation, but in the New Testament, it's love and mercy. And, but we can never contrast any parts of who God's revelation and God himself because God is all one. It's all the same in, in God's will and who he is. And the fullness of this is shown in Jesus Christ. Because when Christ came, he showed every aspect of who Jesus was. As He, he showed compassion on people, yet also he never, never diminished God's law. Never, not any of it would pass away. He himself was something so attractive to bring crowds to him, and yet also parts of him that held firm in that same compassion that drove people to kill him. And we see perfection and we see the fullness with the most clarity of who God is of being simple and when we look at the cross because on the cross we see God's perfect justice the law is fulfilled sin is condemned and judged he's not backed away and said it doesn't matter his judgment and wrath are displayed and at the same moment and in the same act His love and His grace and mercy is shown more clearly than anywhere else we see. In that same act, God's different aspects are all shown so clearly. And so that also shows us that this kind of mind-bending stuff should just bring us to love and to depend and to worship and to trust as we look at the cross and we trust a God who is simple and who is self-existence, and from that self-existence unconditionally gives out blessings to us. Now unto him who is able to do more than we can ask or imagine be honor and glory and power forever. Amen. Let us uh, please stand and state what we believe through the words of the Nicene Creed.